The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hey, hey, you don't have to worry about having the street signs greased here on the hidden yardage podcast because we don't riot no matter the results of the super bowl i'm mark lane joined by sean martin sean what did you think of super bowl 57 hey full disclosure though if the cowboys do ever win a super bowl while we're still covering them here on this podcast you will be able to find me in dallas trying to climb a pole or a tree or a building somewhere so you know, all bets are off for how I'm going to behave uh, if the Cowboys go ahead and do what Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs just did. Tonight, okay, so. well, um, you may be an old man by that point, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll hold you to that. <laughs> hey, I sure hope not. Good to be with you as always, Mark. Uh, obviously, this episode brings things a little bit full circle for us, right? Our first ever episode of Hidden Yardage was after the Rams Super Bowl, and now we get to come back and do it again talking Kansas City Chiefs and like I said hopefully one day very soon we're talking Cowboys in this game but yeah my thoughts on this were really just a great example of you know some of the things we talked about leading into this game to preview it a little bit just in terms of just how good Pat Mahomes is at being able to take you know whatever script is thrown at him whatever defensive look however a game is playing out even on the other side of the ball for the Chiefs with their defense and just being able to inspire the confidence across an entire team and coaching staff that they're going to be able to overcome it and get it done on the biggest stage. I mean, the Eagles, you can't say enough about how well they game-planned all season long, and it got them the NFC East, of course, and it got them tons of respect and what we feel like is going to be some pretty good sustainability going forward, although you know you never really know that after you lose on the biggest stage like this. And this is another game where, you know, their fans don't want to hear it, but they really did come in with another good plan. And it was working, of course, very well for him in the first half. But, you know, NFL football, philosophy-wise, do you want to have a team that can put together a great game plan and then stick to it and sometimes win with it? Or do you want the player that can go break any given game plan and win under a variety of circumstances? And in this case, that player was Mahomes, and he's so special, and that's what got it done. So, you know, I think there's a lesson to be learned there for a lot of teams. Although it's hard to just compare really any quarterback at this point to Mahomes. So, yeah, there are some lessons that can be learned from how the Chiefs came back in this game. But really, it just came down to the MVP being the MVP and being just a little bit better than Jalen Hurts, who still played a fantastic game. Oh, yeah, that's uh, kind of the tragedy of it. Although I'm sure Cowboys fans don't want to ever associate a 
an Eagles loss was a tragedy, but is it Jalen Hurts? You know, it reminds me of C.J. Stroud, actually, um, in the national semifinal against Georgia. Um, Hurts played a heck of a ball game. He played big-time quarterback football in Super Bowl 57. But, you know, it's a team game, and it just wasn't good enough. And there you go. That's the difference in the ball game. But I really think that he showed up. I also think that um, with the Eagles, they really kind of looked like what NFC East people were saying all season, which is, oh, they're so beatable. All you got to do is this, but no one could ever get to that, which is turning them one-dimensional, taking the run game away, taking the quick passing game away, uh, just really kind of keeping Hurts in the pocket. And that's what the Chiefs were able to do that fomented the comeback because, I mean, they dominated the time of possession in that first half. Sean, the Eagles just absolutely dominated. They had over 21 minutes of possession, and the Chiefs were hardly on the field. I mean, up until the second half, I think Rihanna might have been on the field more than the Chiefs' offense. That's how bad it was. And But still, in that second half, Kansas City, they came out, and like I said, they did what everybody in the NFC East had been saying about the Eagles all season which is they're beatable, here's what you got to do. And that's how it is with football anyway, is it comes down to execution and whether or not you pull it off. But the Chiefs did, and I I do think that some Cowboys fans uh, will relish in the fact that the Eagles basically got reft out of um, a Super Bowl win. You know, with that defensive holding goal that set up first and goal for the for the Chiefs to basically make the game winning field goal. I mean, I know the game was playing out to be high scoring, but I'm not. I don't want to hear Eagles fans saying that it was you know anything but a lock to say that they were just going to take the ball after the Chiefs would still be able to kick a field goal from the spot of the penalty and then go down the field. So, I mean, sure, you would have had a better chance than the last-ditch effort that you had there, but and I know how well Hurts played. We both just hit on it, and he completed over 70% of his passes. That's insane. But, yeah, I think, you know, the Chiefs defense was at a point in that game where, you know, Steve Spagnuolo can just call up so many pressers and blitzes and would have been a tough challenge no matter when Kansas City was able to uh, get ahead with the field goal at the end there. That's what I'm saying is it's just – it's funny how – um, th- that's how it ends for the Eagles is basically on a controversial referee, uh, play, you know, with a, with a penalty, uh, so, which they'll be talking about all off season. And that'll be why they didn't get to have two Super Bowls and why if only, and all of that. So, uh, like I said, I mean, if you're somebody that's an NFC East fan, you would have to relish the fact that the Eagles' season ended on coulda, woulda, shoulda. I've mentioned before that one of my absolute least favorite things that you know broadcasters or anybody in the media says 
after a Super Bowl was that the losing team will be back because we just have no idea and you never know that. And, you know, it truly is one of my least favorite things to hear just because it just undermines, you know, all the work it takes to rebuild a roster in, the, in an offseason and go through a draft and the way that things can change in the snap of a finger are all things that we're going to be covering, you know, from the Cowboys angle going forward, of course. But, you know, I hate to say that and that's why I avoid usually being someone that says that. So I especially hate saying it now, but it sure does feel like the Seagulls team is, you know, if you, if you were going to say it about one losing Super Bowl team, they are set up to put themselves in a position to be right back here. I mean, it took just a MVP Pat Mahomes performance to knock them off. And, you know, that, that's just going to happen. You can go ask these other great quarterbacks in the AFC about it. Josh Allen has lost this type of game to Pat Mahomes before. Joe Burrow finally was on the losing side this year. And that's how we ended up with this Chiefs-Eagles matchup. So, yeah, the fact that it just took, you know, a quarterback like Mahomes, who's a one-of-one type of player, putting an entire team on his back and, you know, to get over this Eagles team does bode well for the Eagles all season. But that's why, like you said as well, it does kind of make it more funny that instead of focusing on those positives and really being able to have, you know, an intelligent way of looking at this going forward, they're going to be hung up on one play and a penalty and what could have been. And you hope that doesn't kind of creep into the team in the locker room and Nick Sirianni itself and hold him back from what this team could be going forward, which I still think is, you know, a force to be reckoned with. And in a, at the very least, the NFC East and beyond that, of course, the conference uh, as well. Well, they had a, a string of good health. That was also the bulwark for their record. And again, that's something else that varies from year to year is the availability of your star and contributor players. You know, that's why some garbage teams with terrible records are suddenly great in December is, oh, hey, the gang's finally here. It's like a fantasy team. You know, oh, great, I'm eight and six out of the playoffs. But, oh, now everybody's performing. Now that I'm in the consolation bracket, good job. Thank you. You know, um, but with the Eagles, like you said, they they look like they're set up to contend for the NFC championship in the years to come, as long as Jalen Hurts is under center. And that leads us to the Dallas Cowboys. Um, I'm sure people thought that they were in great position to continue winning Super Bowls after they won their third in the past four seasons after the conclusion of Super Bowl Thirty, But... You know, it just didn't happen. Triplets never won. um, They never, they only won one playoff game after that. That's the 96 NFC wild card against Minnesota. And it was all gone like that. And so then it just continues. And now it's been since the 1995 season that Dallas has won a Super Bowl. But Sean, just with the way that the Cowboys are structured as a business, I mean, do they even need to win a Super Bowl ever again? And here's why I say that. Is you've, I, the, there was a study done that was released this week um, that, where they took a look at the Google Analytics uh, of Google searches on a monthly basis looked at all 50 states, and the Cowboys had the most states 
with 15. There were 15 states, including California, which has three NFL teams. 15 states where the Cowboys were the most searched Google team in the Google searches. And they're consistently up there in terms of the TV ratings. All they did was beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the NFC wild card, which, as I've said, is just the newfangled playoff bowl in terms of what it actually does for a team's legacy and everything. It's just basically the first round of the playoffs, and it was the highest-rated ABC and ESPN program, you know? And you just see them leading in terms of market value and market share and assets and everything, most talked about, most searched, most trending, you know, all of the above. They're already number one, and they haven't even been in an NFC title game since 1996. Do they even need to win a Super Bowl anymore? Well, I was going to say especially yes, of course, if the Eagles won. You know, I would have just kind of put this question over the top. It would have been my, you know, both of ours. But second experience, you know, sitting through watching the Eagles win the Super Bowl. And when they won it the first time, I was still back home in college, actually living in New Jersey and, you know, still had some Eagles fans on campus and had to deal with all that. And everybody knew I was a Cowboys fan, just getting in the Cowboys media at the time. So certainly speaks for itself that that wasn't a great moment when the Eagles won their first one. And now, you know, I really did think, at least of course, by how that first half played out, that we were about to be coming back here, talking about another one, which lead into the segment with the only possible answer being, you know, yes, the Cowboys need to go get one because I'm tired of the Eagles having two before I've even seen the Cowboys in an NFC Championship game, yet alone the Super Bowl. But, you know, I now think with the Chiefs winning, now we can look at both teams in the perspective of, you know, what do they have going for them and what do the Cowboys have going for them, which is quite a bit, as you laid out there, in terms of the media coverage. And we'll see what kind of mileage now at the start of the offseason for every team, the whole... Eagles fans booing Dak Prescott during the Peyton, uh, Walter Payton Man of the Year presentation we'll get, and Demarcus Ware announces Hall of Famer, you know, those types of headlines typically do well once everybody is starved for some offseason content, which is officially starting, you know, right now pretty much. So, yeah, it does make sense that the Cowboys, you know, do try to want to be this middle of the road, not ever too high, too low type of team. And then when they do feel like they have a chance to go be that team, you know, go do it. And Jerry will always tell us that he, he would do anything to get back in the Super Bowl. But, yeah, now that we can look at both teams that just played, I mean, they do still need to make a serious run at this thing. Because, I mean, you tell me which of these teams mortgaged their future or sold anything or doesn't have a future now because they either won or lost. There isn't one. I mean, we, did, we already covered how the Eagles are set up for what we think is, you know, some more success and there'll be another challenger to the Cowboys getting back atop the NFC East this year. That's all good and fine. And certainly you know, we expect Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs to just be a mainstay in this thing in a way that, you know, is mind boggling in a way that has Pat Mahomes almost already on a path to, you know, being right up, right up there with Tom Brady and one of the greatest QBs of all time. We've just never seen something like this. So yeah, we just had a Super Bowl of two teams that, win or lose, have a future and a, and a clear path to continue to be able to play in this type of game. And the Cowboys seem to not 
you know, have that same way of going about things where they want to pick and choose when they can go for it. And then when it doesn't work, you're back to square one. And they've been going backwards and forwards at this thing, but mostly backwards for 26, 27 years now. So certainly that doesn't compare to the way that the Chiefs are consistently in this game and the Eagles will have a chance to get back, like we said. So, yeah, the Cowboys need to feel the pressure of Philadelphia knocking on the doorstep like they did on Sunday night. And Kansas City just being able to retool around Mahomes the same way that they're tentatively trying to do around Dak Prescott. There's a lot of lessons that could be learned for the Dallas front office in terms of how to go for it, how to actually put your team in these biggest games and what it would mean for the NFL to have the Cowboys back on the stage again. Right, but you're talking about football. I'm talking about sports entertainment here. And that's what I'm saying is... Dallas has, they've not been close to a Super Bowl in your lifetime, Sean. And yet they're talked about every season like they are the Chiefs and the Eagles. That's what I'm saying is, I I just wonder if, if they even really need to win a Super Bowl to stay a, t- a top the talk show mountain, if you will. Oh, no, that that will never change. It'll be a top that no matter what. And, you know, there's fans cynical that will think that, you know, that is this front office's own version of a Super Bowl. As long as they're in the headlines, that's, you know, their version of winning. And if they get the Lombardi or not, who really cares? And, you know, that's football and that's a separate thing. So, yeah, in the perspective of do they need one to have the other? No, they don't need a Super Bowl to continue to be atop the ratings and the media and all these other things that, you, know, you could still applaud them for and hang banners for if you'd like, but then we can just make fun of them the same way we made fun of the Indianapolis Colts for putting up that banner for, what was it, like, you know, being the AFC runner-up or something. So, yeah, in those ways, no, they don't need to win, but I don't know how you comfortably sit here and watch the Eagles continue to knock at the door and, you know, watch the Chiefs take a quarterback that pretty much guarantees them a trip to the at least the AFC Championship game every year and think that you on the same level as these teams. And if you're not, you know, why aren't you doing everything possible to go be on the same level as those teams? And the answer could be right in front of us. I think you laid it out well. The answer is that, you know, the pressure isn't there because of the ratings they get anyway. But I don't think that's something you you could sustain as far as, you know, continuing to give that as an answer and not being able to take the next step as a football product as well. I think you can as long, and that's how they're structured with the draft and uh, building through the draft and not taking chances in free agency is about every four years, it seems like, comes this Cowboys super team that is ready to go and is going to compete for, well, it's about every election year, really, that's going to compete, make the playoffs, and, um, you know, this is their year. Uh, you kind of you saw it in 2014, 16, 18, 21, 22. And I think that's kind of the model is, all right, they're in the tournament, and let's see what could happen. But if I could have the Joneses ear, what I would say is you do one of these years that that comes about where all your draft – class is doing great and they've matured and they're ready to go and your quarterback's on a rookie contract 
you got to sell out. You got to sell your soul to salary cap hell because it's really starting to get like cobwebs. Like you need to bring a feather duster every time Emmett Smith and Troy Aikman and Michael Irvin, who are in their 50s, are talking about the Super Bowls that they won. Okay? This really almost is in another time of the NFL that the average fan can't comprehend because there was no internet back then. There was no social media. There was no YouTube. There were no highlights except on the 10 o'clock news and ESPN. So so you almost need to get and sell out as an investment to win another Super Bowl, to have another team of guys who can go do the junkets during the Super Bowl uh, Radio Row interviews, like Dak and Trayvon Diggs and Micah Parsons, not for during their playing years, but afterwards, too, talking about how stupendous it was when they won uh, the Super Bowl that was held at uh, Caesars Superdome down in New Orleans. And I can't believe what Bourbon Street was like and all of that. You need to have some of those Super Bowl veterans again, that new crop, because all the stories from Troy Aikman, Michael Irvin, and Emmett Smith are just starting to get old and well-known and worn out. So I would say just for the good of the franchise, you've got to make that investment. Sell your soul to Salary Cap L just so you can continue having those guys tell those stories and remain atop the ratings that way. Yeah, that's well said. Certainly the Cowboys to very public-facing media job pipeline has been alive and well and you know that's another thing that the front office will hang its cap on and you know say that being a cowboy sticks with you for life and the business opportunities and all that they believe helps them more than it probably realistically does both in free agency and you know even in the draft a little bit when it comes to just you know understanding the type of player it's going to take to try to fit this image that they maintain but yeah you make a good point there you know try to sell out and go win this thing that's all what what we would, of course, like to see the Cowboys do. But, you know, where's the evidence that that hurts you in the long term? Like, it seems like they're apparently scared of, you know? I mean, this is reactionary and 90% chance it won't happen, if not more than that. But I wouldn't be too surprised if it's the exact same two teams playing in the Super Bowl next year. I mean, that's how good I feel about what we just saw from a roster standpoint as far as just how well-built both the Eagles and Chiefs are to play today's game and play, you know, a modern style of football that's adaptive and, you know, improvise on the fly and what Andy Reid and Nick Sirianni bring to their teams, they both could easily be right back here. So where's the evidence that you have to be this sellout all-in team for just a one-year shot to go get it or not? You know, we we just saw two teams that could very well meet up in this type of game again. So it is possible to build a team that, you know, has has sustained success and can get after it and Hell, the Cowboys are even a team that understands that. You know, they, they didn't just win one Super Bowl in the 90s. They won three, so they understand what sustained success looks like. It's just been so long since they've seen it, and it makes those stories old, and it makes you know fans my age or younger hard to relate to what those games are even like, as you said. So, yeah, they do need a fresh crop of you know when this next core of players is going to be the one that can 
go get them that sustained success. It might not be three Super Bowls, of course, but that's getting gritty at this point, thanks to how long just the NFC Championship game drought is. But let's go get one while, you know, insert whatever great player we've had over the last couple of years is still here. You know, first it was Jerry's biggest regret is wasting the Tony Romo years, and then now we're probably getting dangerously close to one day saying the same about Dak Prescott and, you know, oh, by the way, Zach Martin is not getting any younger. And how long is the Dan Quinn, Mika Parsons connection going to be here? You know, it just goes on and on in terms of talent that you've had that hasn't gotten you into the biggest game of the year, the last game of the year. And ultimately, this by this team's standards, you know, any other season that doesn't end in the Super Bowl can't really be deemed a complete success. So that's the goal to, uh, you know, to be there more than once, you would hope. But Who's that first player that's going to get you there? Is it already on the roster? Or are we talking about, like you said, four or five draft classes from now, having to be the ones that can actually be your core players to uh, to put you over the top? Well, here's what it cost them to sell out, Sean, because this is what happened. They sold out, like I said, with Deion Sanders and keeping Troy, Emmett, and Michael uh, to, to conclude the 90s is from 2001 to 2000. Three, Dallas only had six primetime games. Two of them were on Monday Night Football in 01 and 03. The other four were on ESPN Monday Night Football. I mean, ESPN Sunday Night Football, which was at that time really kind of being like on Amazon Thursday Night Football. I mean, it was just, you know, not really quality matchups. Two of those games, the Eagles just took it to them. Um, so it's just that I think that's the fear is if they sell out, they'll go, they'll have those five and 11 hopeless years consecutively again. And it's a harder product to sell. And like I said, I think that they need to risk it. Jerry has said before to Steven, sometimes you got to drive across the water. And I think if they get in a situation where the quarterback salary cap hit is favorable, where you're just a couple pieces away, do it because you're really running out of credibility as a Super Bowl team. I mean, you really are. And I think that that's where they, they've got to drive across the water someday. I mean, picture this, like the tone of how we're talking about this feels very negative, right? And that's a mix of things. You know, it's, it's the fact that the Eagles were, you know, just inches away, it seemed, from winning a Super Bowl. It's the fact that we still can remember, you know, the loss to the 49ers and the imagery of that and how the season ended is still a bad taste in the mouth. And that, But this is all, you know, somewhat negative under the light of the Eagles lost the Super Bowl. Can you imagine if we were having this conversation, you know, having to talk about a team in your division that dominated the season from start to finish? hoisting the trophy again and it being the second Eagles Super Bowl in the same time it took you to get back to an NFC Championship game. So, you know, we're at a pretty negative point as Cowboys fans right now just because last offseason was the exact same way and this offseason already feels the same way in terms of some of the same team needs. It's a very deja vu type of offseason, so why not start negative and try to spin it positive again because that's exactly how it went this past year. So, you know, that's where we're at. But again, that's with the context of you know, to state the obvious, the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl, which they just did, but it very well could have been a, a much darker conversation, let's put it that way, if it came to, 
this being the Eagles and us having to kind of predict what, you know, Jerry would say about that and how he would spin it to make it all, make it sound all cute on the radio the next day of, Oh, well, you know, here's what they sold out to get it. Or here's why we can't be like them. Or, you know, here's why we'll beat them when they come to Dallas again next year. Any of these things that we just don't want to hear anymore um, would be different if it was the Eagles, of course, but I don't think it's too much different just because it's the Chiefs side. Of course, you know, the AFC team winning has no effect really on the Cowboys. So, It'll be a business-as-usual type of offseason. Well, thankfully, we don't have to live in that final destination parallel reality where the Eagles win. Instead, the Chiefs won. And the Cowboys have to figure out a way to win themselves. And like I said, the way that they're structured is their draft classes mature, and then when they're in their contract years, oh, my gosh, here are the key contributors for this season. But I think that... They really need their past three draft classes to have guys that need to step up. So let's go ahead and take a look at the past three draft classes, Sean. And you give me some guys that you think need to step up in order for Dallas to have success, starting with the 2020 draft class. Who are your guys that need to step up this year? Oh, 2020 class, I think this is you know a bit unfair to mention him as the first guy to step up because he is one of the biggest bright season, bright spots of the season. That would be, of course, your wide receiver one, CDLM. But I think what I mean by step up for him is that I do trust the Cowboys, and this is sketchy of me to say, I guess, but I, I'm going to trust for now that they're going to get CDLM's more help than just Michael Gallup, who was still injured for much of the season, of course, and, you know, whatever else was out there, which was never up to par, of course, this season. So under that context, you know, I think Lamb faces the pressure of taking even another step than the, you know, the dominant wide receiver one type of player that he showed he can be this past season. So yeah, I think CDLM is the first guy from that 2020 class to, he was a wide receiver one that didn't have a lot of help this season. And that's a hard thing to do, but if you get him that help, can he continue to take over games and be even better and exist, you know, in Mike McCarthy's offense, it's going to be a big learning curve for Prescott and I am to, you know, transition that connection that they had under Kellen Moore to, McCarthy's offense, but I think certainly both players are capable of doing just that until we can see even more from your first-round pick in that 2020 class. I'm going to go with Neville Gallimore because he's their third-round pick, defensive tackle, and if they could get a little bit more out of him, then they wouldn't have to do things like trade for Jonathan Hankins. It's kind of, you know, again, the 2020 class, I mean, well, that Bradley and I needs to step up, and he's not even on the team, you know. (laughs) That Reggie Robinson, what's he doing? Ben DiNucci, man. Yeah, what that's doing? what I mean. So the 2020 class is a little difficult. So moving on to the 2021 class, I think there may be some crossover names. And if you take them, Sean, well, you take them. And I won't talk about them. But uh, we'll see who your picks are from the 2021 class. I got four. Oh, well, I was going to lump two of them together, but you know, I'll, I'll let you have one that I'm going to assume would be on your list of four then. So I was going to go off the corner. Well, let me put it this way. You would be right to assume. Great. Yeah, I was going to go with, you know, both cornerbacks, Nason Wright and Kelvin Joseph. So let me start with just Kelvin Joseph then. You know, he's your second round pick, but he only played above 50% of snaps in any given game twice this past season. Those were both wins for the Cowboys um, that they had at home against the Eagles in that shootout type game, of course. So really not a standout game for anybody on the defense, including Kelvin. That was a game against Gardner Minshew and not Jalen Hurts. And then the other one was that weird 
meaningless Titans game on that Thursday night Amazon um, Amazon game that the Cowboys did win, you know, against Josh Dobbs playing quarterback for Tennessee at that point, second to last week of the season. So, you know, the best thing for Kelvin Joseph's career so far, you can say, is that the fact that John Fossil is here, you know, he owes John Fossil quite a bit, I would say, at this point, for making him a core special teamer and ha- and having the type of influence from being a core special teamer on this Cowboys team really means something as opposed to other teams saying, oh, that's not good enough and we're just going to, you know, duct tape together our special teams and hope it doesn't hurt us like the way the Eagles punt coverage hurt them with Kadarius Tony setting up that big return and a Chiefs touchdown in the fourth quarter. So, you know, they need more from Kelvin. The p- turnover production he made in college, I think, was kind of overstated. You know, it was Dan Quinn's defense was so good at getting turnovers. It was first year that when Kelvin was drafted, it was like we jumped straight towards the fact that he could be another player like that. But I don't think we need to necessarily see the on-ball production from him. You know, it's what you have Trayvon Diggs for. And we know that quarterbacks are going to throw away from Diggs because of how good he is and making those plays on the ball. So you really just need consistency at that second corner spot, more so than you had this season between Anthony Brown, who would be a free agent this season, Kelvin Joseph, and the other option would, of course, be Nason Wright, who I'll give you a chance to talk about. Yeah, I think Nason Wright needs to step up because you need somebody opposite of Trayvon Diggs. Um, you also have some good production happening with Deron Bland. Uh, so, you know, it looks like the cornerback core is replenishing, but you still need one of those guys, Joseph or Wright, to step up and just take that Anthony Brown role or that Jordan Lewis sense of security. And you just don't feel like you got it with either one of those guys. The other two guys that I've got as Josh Ball and Matt Farniak, I think if they could get Ball to step up and just be a swing tackle, then that gives you a lot of flexibility because they may do something like get rid of Tyron Smith. Um, You know that Jason Peters definitely is not going to be sticking around. If they let Connor McGovern go in free agency, then you're going to need Farniok to step up and and just have the capability to take over that left guard spot as well as be a viable backup to Tyler Biotich. So for me, Ball and Farniok are my other two guys because they help replenish the depth on the offensive line, which was one of the strengths of the Cowboys that helped them weather the storm throughout the season because any other team would have been dead when Ty, when Tyron Smith went down with the uh, torn hamstring. Okay. Any other team would have been gone, would have been done. And regardless of what happened to Dak, that would have been the nine and eight moment right there. But uh, instead that Dallas prevailed, but uh, to get back to that level, you know, ball and Farniak are going to have to show something. Yeah. Just think Pat Mahomes is now, two for one in the Super Bowl throughout his career. And the one loss was a game where he was just under constant fire from the Tampa Bay Bucks defense because neither of his starting tackles were in that game. And, you know, the Chiefs realized that and had to fix it. And they did so in one off season. So they went out and did it in a way that's not really how the Cowboys build. Of course, they use, you know, trades, free agency, everything they can do. But this Cowboys team is going to have so many other needs to face this off season that they really do need the swing tackle of the future to be on this roster already. 
They're so predicated on the draft, and the offensive line's always been one of their top positions they can count on in the draft. So it would be a big hit for them if they realize that they haven't hit on, you know, a player like Ball or any of these other swing tackles, Matt Oletsko, that can be here. So they do have the names here. They have some options. They just have to develop them and make sure that, you know, that option is already here so that they can weather, weather the storm of a potential Tyron Smith moving on from him or Jason Peters, like you said. All right, moving on to the 2022 class, who are some guys you think need to step up? So I'm going to go with Quentin Bohanna. I know you mentioned Neville Gallimore from the 2020 class and him being the type of guy who, if he steps up, then you don't have to make the type of move for Jonathan Hankins. But really, Hankins is more of that run-stuffing, you know, one-tech type of player. And that's what you have more so in Bohanna than you do Gallimore. Not saying that, you know, they're not flexible and things like that. And Bohanna did flash just a little bit of pass rush upside at times. But really, the run defense wasn't completely fixed by the end of the season. It improved. It was, you know, good enough to, to get you in the game against the 49ers, but not, you know, overcome it in a way that you really tried to prepare for in the offseason when it came to, you know, coming out of that first wild card loss to the 49ers from the year before and saying that they were the more physical team and how can we fix that? Well, Bahana is that type of player that gives you that physicality and that toughness right in the center of your defensive line. So certainly would help to see a little bit more from him. Carlos Watkins is on another one-year deal this year. So if he, if you move on from him, then you're really going to need Bohanna to step up. And I think he's the type of player that can do just that. And then the other one, the big name to put a big red circle around is, of course, Jalen Tolbert, who came in at the biggest position of need possible for this team and still didn't really give you anything. And it's still such a position of need that you're going to need to see something from Tolbert, which is something we talked about last week. Yeah, my last three guys are from the 2022 class. And obviously, Jalen Tolbert... Definitely need to see something out of him. Too many deactivations for a third rounder, even if he was a rookie. Um, Matt Willetsko, he's my other one because, again, to help solve the swing tackle issues, your offensive line depth, you need Willetsko to be a part of the conversation because it just gives you a lot of options and security. And then Devin Harper at linebacker, he needs to step up because he had to rely on Anthony Barr. And, hey, it was a good acquisition. You know, when you can go get a Pro Bowl linebacker to add to your defense, you do it. But um, in terms of just having a younger guy out there, someone that can develop and grow and that Dan Quinn can use, I think Devin Harper needs to come into his own. And if he can get some of that same treatment and development in Quinn's system, I think he'd be a lot more effective than an old Anthony Barr. Yeah, Quinn has kind of made, you know, something out of nothing over his entire tenure here at the linebacker spot. He'll just take whatever's given to him and converted safeties and Jaron Coase and nickel defenders. And, you know, that second level of the defense under Quinn is kind of very ambiguous, but that's not to say that playing of a traditional linebacker doesn't have its upside. The Cowboys realized that when they saw a resurgence from Leighton Vanderess this season, who's now should be one of their high priority free agents. So, you know, at the end of the day, if we are going to talk about them improving their run defense, having those hybrid type players there is great, but you need linebackers who can play with some size, play with the physicality to suit the gaps and make plays against the run. And that's what Devin Harper at his best can give you. So, yeah, definitely looking forward to a full off season of him being able to work into this system. 
Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Yeah, and uh, much like how some people scroll through Facebook Marketplace looking for um, Gen 3, Gen 4 Camaro convertibles um, for less than $3,000, let's go ahead and just wish uh, for what Cowboys, what free agents the Cowboys should sign this offseason. And it's nothing to do with dollar amount. I'm talking about guys that you think could absolutely help the team. One guy from offense, one guy from defense. Who do you have? So on defense, I have Delvin Tomlinson. He was originally a NFC East draft pick. He was picked by the Giants in the uh, second round of 2016, but played this past season for the Vikings. He's a very durable player, six-year starter in this league. This past year was the first time he didn't play in all 16 games in a season for the Vikings, who moved on from their defensive coordinator, Ed Donatel, at the end of the season. They now have Brian Flores, and I could bode well in terms of, you know, Flores, we know how this works when there's a coaching change. They want to bring in their guys and pass on the guys who are already here. So how he values Tomlinson is yet to be known, but how the free agent market will view him could be right in the price range for the Cowboys to continue to stay true to that commitment of being more tough on defense, getting physical, getting a defensive tackle that's versatile, stands up against the run, but also pushes the pocket very well, gets in the quarterback's face. There's no understating just how valuable that is. And I think he could really be a guy that, you know, continues to help you get Mika Parsons free to the quarterback, continues to, what you call some different and exotic type of things on defense. I really think that acquisition could go a long way defensive tackle. And then offense, how do you look anywhere else but wide receiver? I have DJ Chark, who played this last season for the Lions. His average depth of target the past few years, 2020 with the Jaguars, 14 yards, 2021, 16.3, a career high. And then this past year playing for Jared Goff, who is, of course, not known for having the best arm strength down the field. It dropped a bit, but still... 15.2. You want to look at the Cowboys stat leaders for that metric this past season? It was Jalen Tolbert, Simi Fajoko, just because of their lack of targets. And as far as starters, your highest ranked player was Michael Gallup at 11.13. And where did CDLM fall? 10.3. So the way that DJ Charlie could come in here and help stretch the defense in a way that you just couldn't do at all this past year, I think he's a free agent receiver. And there's many that make sense, but he's just one. I've written about guys like Jacoby Myers and some others for bloggingtheboys.com. But for now, I like the idea of putting Chark in this offense. Uh, on the offensive side of the ball, I, I actually have to go with someone that was in the Super Bowl in 
That's Juju Smith-Schuster because they need, uh, uh, yeah, a former Pittsburgh receiver. I mean, Pittsburgh Steelers receiver, but actually go get the guy who was productive in uh, Smith-Schuster, yeah. not, you know, the guy with the ranch out in. Not yeah. the actual cowboy. <laughs> but, um, no, I. but, yeah, that's why I picked Smith-Schuster yards per reception, uh, you know, 12 yards per reception. Um, he was also, when you talk about average depth of target, 7.3. Uh, I, his yards before the catch were 468 of his 933. Uh, he's somebody that I think could stretch the field and be an effective complement to C.D. Lamb and would open things up for the rest of the receiving core. And he's that, you know, that other big name, if you will, that other WR1 that you can have opposite of Lamb to open things up and hopefully for some fans move on from uh, the Amari Cooper regret that a lot of them have. So Juju Smith-Schuster's my guy on offense. On defense... Again, with the same philosophy you had of freeing up Micah Parsons, that's why I would get uh, Houston Texans defensive end uh, Ogbonia Akaronquo is because he's somebody that also has experience playing with the Rams in Wade Phillips 3-4, so he can stand up. He can be a down lineman as he was in Lovey Smith's system, which has comparables to Dan Quinn's, he had a career year, five sacks, nine tackles for loss, 11 quarterback hits, a forced fumble, and two pass breakups. Uh, played all 17 games. And I think he's somebody that you could throw in there to help in passing situations, to come off the edge. And again, I, I need someone to free up Micah Parsons to get him back to being the utility guy. I think he banged his head way too much. Not literally, but just figuratively. Just took too many collisions on, on passing situations. And those have got to be limited if you really want an effective Michael Parsons. Yeah, I think that signing would remind a lot of Cowboys fans of the uh, Dante Fowler move that they made this past offseason, which certainly paid off in some ways. You know, Fowler had his flash plays as a veteran and moved around his defense and did some nice things. So maybe reminiscent of that as the Cowboys look to continue to have a strong pass rush. It was so meaningful this season. It was really, you know, their calling card was having that pass rush that could affect and win games for you, especially early in the year when Prescott was out. So that's a big deal to maintain that. And then, you know, for Smith-Suster, yeah, the, the Speaks for itself, the run after the catch ability that we just saw on display in the Super Bowl would certainly be welcome here on, you know, on the receiving end of, you need that broken play receiver back in this offense with Prescott. You know, for a while, that was Michael Gallup because he was the third guy to both Lamb and Amari Cooper. But now without Cooper, Gallup was just kind of more of a, you know, receiver that the defense could prepare for. And he was more pressure on Kellen Moore at the time to, script him into the offense and make those types of plays. And so when the play broke down, you know, it wasn't 
the right fit for Gallup then to be there in the same way that he usually was when Prescott was outside the pocket and things like that. So Smith Schuster could step in and be that guy and a whole lot more for this offense. Indeed. All right, let's go ahead and take a look at the Cowboys' birthdays before we get out of here. We only got three this week. On Monday, Drew Henson turns 43. He was a Cowboys quarterback in 2004, 2005. Oh, he was going to you know, take over for um, Vinny Testaverde, and he's a former pitcher, so you knew that was going to work out well. On Tuesday, Drew Bledsoe turns 51, played quarterback from 05 to 06, got replaced by Tony Romo. And then on Saturday, George Teague, everyone knows what he did, turns 52, laid a lick on Terrell Owens for celebrating on the star in week four I believe of 19 of 2000 and uh, he was with the team from 96 and then again came back played from 1998 to 2001 and those are your Cowboys birthdays yeah you want to talk about Cowboys highlights that you know in the era of just being in the Super Bowl was that the end all be all like we started talking about the start of this so or can you sustain on you know highlights and these things that didn't exist back when the Cowboys were actually in the Super Bowl. But nonetheless, yeah, that George Teague highlight on the star with Terrell Owens will always be, you know, one that can stand the test of time and, you know, so exactly the, uh, the type of player he was and earning the hearts of Cowboys fans everywhere in that moment. Yeah, and that may be, when I think about it, where, how the Cowboys can survive is because if the average person, if the general public has the attention span of a goldfish, thanks to social media and everything. Seriously, that's all no, Dallas true. needs it's... to do is just have some really good games, really big highlights from star players, memeable moments, and I've got your consciousness. I'm atop your consciousness. Doesn't matter. I don't need to win the Super Bowl. I'm number one in your head. Yeah, as long as the last snap of the season was your overused, overpaid running back, tossing the ball back there to your quarterback and then throwing a screen to your punt returner. You're good to go. Yeah, well, if you want to tell Sean that he's mean for calling Ezekiel Elliott overpaid, his Twitter <laughs> handle is at Sean Martin NFL. And if you want to tell me that uh, I'm wrong to want Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, my Twitter handle is at the real Mark Lane. You can download the Hidden Yardage podcast on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher. And what's my homework assignment that I did not turn in, Sean? Oh, I meant to bring that up. You didn't listen to it. You got to listen to at least one OER Speedwagon song by next week. It's the offseason now, so you got no excuse. That's right. I will have a report next week. So there it is. 